everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're starting The Son of Neptune. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm, d- I'm doing pretty good. I've had a, a bountiful day. I, I pet my dog who I have at home. I dog sat for a neighbor, so I got to pet their dog. Uh, and then when I went to the shops early, a cat came over to me and I got to pet that. Oh my so god. I, I my, my cup runneth over today, truly. How are you today, Jacqueline? You know, I'm doing all right. I, I'm feeling better just hearing about all those stories, you know? <laughs> uh, I... But I, for one, am super excited to to start the Son of Neptune. I, Hell yeah! I I'm, I love the Lost Hero. It was a pretty good book. It was fun to talk about with you. I'm I just I'm excited to get into something new though. Yeah, we had our complaints, but overall, good book. Yeah. Now I believe that you prepared the summaries for us this time. I did. Now could you could you uh, serve those up to us, madam? Uh, I will. They're on this gleaming platter. I'm withdrawing the lid, and now you have to listen to me summarize these chapters. Ulala. Chapter 1. Percy. We open on Percy Jackson mid-battle with a pair of gorgons on a hill in San Francisco. We're quickly filled in on the story up until now. As the last book indicated, he too has gotten the Jason treatment, with his memories all but erased, and was dumped at the wolf house where Looper trained him up, before sending him off to find a camp to stay at. He dimly remembers Annabeth in a she-exists-and-I'm-pretty-sure-I-was-fond-of-her sort of way, and has a vague instruction to follow his instincts which has led him to this hill. Besides that, he has the clothes on his back and a riptide, and that's all he's got. The Gorgons are out for Percy's blood because, while he doesn't remember it, the stink of, Medu- of killing Medusa and Lightning Thief is still on him. Thankfully, they're not doing too great against him. Percy is still nigh invulnerable from his dip in the River Styx. Unfortunately, he's not doing great against them either as at this point monsters are staying down for a handful of minutes at most when killed. Percy is actually on the same hill that Jason got the thousand yard stare around at the end of Lost Hero, and gets the same way when he realises that this is where his instincts are pointing him. He flees the Gorgons by basically falling off a cliff, straight onto the freeway cutting through the tunnel in the hill. Chapter 2. Percy. But manages to bounce himself out of the, out of the freeway and doesn't land in traffic. Instead, he lands next to a weird old lady called June, who offers Percy a choice. Just straight up walk into the goddamn ocean, where his powers will keep him insulated from everything that's about to hit the fan, or carry her across a freeway and undertake a journey of horrendous suffering. While this seems like a no-brainer, she adds a single asterisk to option two. This is how he can get back the rest of his memories of Annabeth. Against his better judgement, Percy picks up the old woman who is totally not Juno, and legs it across six lanes of traffic as the Gorgons close in, making it to a small maintenance hatch flanked by kids in Roman armour. Everyone is quickly overwhelmed by the Gorgons, so they all flee down a tunnel. Percy learns that the guards are Hazel and Frank, and despite the feeling of doom Percy had coming here, they're actually pretty friendly. Eventually, the tunnel opens out into a huge hidden valley under the mountain, with a small city in the centre and a river encircling it. The climate is Mediterranean, the architecture is Roman, and the vibes are rancid. This is definitely Camp Jupiter. The kids, plus June, get to the river, where Percy is presented with another choice. Carry June to safety on the other side of the water, or don't go in. The catch for crossing to safety is that the Roman waters will wash off the mark of Achilles, because it's a Greek blessing. Again, Percy bites the bullet and eats the shit, crossing the river and losing his invulnerability, and then using its waters to sweep the Gorgons away. A bunch more Roman demigods roll up, at which point June surprises no one by morphing into Juno proper. She introduces Percy to everyone, refuses to give his memories back, says the Feast of Fortune is soon, and that death must be unleashed for there to be a chance of victory, and then fucks off. Percy is then approached by Arena, Praetor of the Twelfth Legion, and de facto head of the camp. She gives Percy some real stink eye, but Percy has no idea if they've met before. He's dragged off to the camp for interrogation. Chapter 3 Percy. Percy is dragged through the streets of the city where the locals glare at him and the various house gods, called Lares, spit at him and call him a Gracus, which apparently means an outsider and an enemy, and funnily enough, roughly translates to Greek. Frank, one of the guards from the door, is told to get lost by Arena, as he's apparently already in deep trouble over something else and can't come to Percy's defence. Percy, Hazel and Raina enter the Principia, which is the headquarters for the city's military. Percy tells them what he knows, which is nothing, 
and learns that her son of Neptune rocking up is seen as a bad omen. Hazel also asks about Jason, and it's clear that she's anxious about the fact that he's missing. He was the co-leader of the camp along with Reyna, and if he's not back by the Feast of Fortuna in a few days, he'll be listed as dead and a new Praetor elected. Reyna dismisses Percy, telling Hazel to bring him to, to Octavian, the city's augur, who will decide if he should be killed. Chapter 4. Percy. Hazel fills in a bit more about the way this camp works. There are around 200 demigods here, which funnily enough is around twice Camp Half-Blood's population, and part of the reason for that is that a lot of them are not directly children of the gods, but the children of demigods who live to adulthood, many of whom continue to live in the city. Plus, cabins divide up various legions rather than being divided by the children of the gods, so things tend to be a bit more mixed on that front. A guy named Vitellius appears and takes up two pages of my life and then leaves. <laughs> Hazel also confirms that Camp Jupiter is not only inspired by Rome, but an actual continuation of the Roman state as ordered by Jupiter, as all the emperors were actually children of the gods. There is an elephant with a bulletproof vest. The satyrs are funny hobos. We see lots of cool cabins, and then Neptunes, which is a shithole, because the Romans were a super powerful society that spawned a lineage to last a thousand years, but also they were a bunch of hydrophobic pussies. Percy is understandably having a bit of trouble processing all of this, but Hazel at least gives him a shoulder to cry on. They meet Octavian, the wacky augur who's descended from Augustus Caesar and a child of Apollo. He bitches about not being allowed to quest for something called the Sibylline Texts, and reveals he'll be running to replace Jason, while also blackmailing Hazel into supporting him, although Percy doesn't find out how. They leave, go down the mountain, and finally Hazel introduces Percy to her brother, fellow son of her godly parent Pluto, Nico D'Angelo. So, what did you think of these chapters? God, talk about a mixed bag. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) There's so much that's really, really good here. Uh, I like the beginning and the ending. Great. Yes. The uh, there's a lot of good shit in here. I think uh, broadly, like the way that Camp Jupiter is distinguished from Camp Half Blood, excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. The <laughs> there are just some classic Rick Riordan foibles here. I feel like I I broadly agree with you. I. I love everything to do with Percy as a character. Like, that that's all good. That's all working for me. Uh, Nico coming back is cool, and I'm interested to see where that goes. Uh, I hate pretty much everything else in these chapters. Really? Okay. I where, where should we start with these? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to cover. Should, should, we, should we be nice? I mean, we can kind of go through this chronologically, and it'll be like a compliment sandwich. We can start with the nice things we want to say about Percy. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, we're starting off in just the middle of a pr- classic Percy Jackson shenanigan. Mm-hmm. And then quickly realize something is wrong in a way that I think works excellently. Yeah, I that you don't realize it at first because um, there's something that I want to give really big props to uh, Rick for here, which is like, we, we've had two books out from uh, Last Olympian by this point. Because Lost Hero and Red Pyramid came out between them. And just... Rick slips so easily back into Percy's voice from a different perspective. But it just... It feels like the character that we like very much. Yeah. It's just... The kind of... The world weariness. The kind of slight... I don't know... Exasperation with everything. The morbidly musing about horrible ways that he might die. It's all here and it's all good. Yeah, it's all Percy, and that's why that's why this beginning is so strong. We're establishing all the stakes, like the fact that he only remembers Annabeth. Like, come on, that's 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 just like good shit. And I fuck you, Juno. God, God, no. Okay, <laughs> absolute. She's the absolute worst. And I think that making his first like enemies in the book the Gorgons is mm-hmm. a good way to like tie this back as a beginning of things because Medusa was a book one foe. Yeah, it's, it's an explicit callback to one of the first really big challenges that Percy faced. And it kind of it, it shows us that he's kind of been knocked down a peg from like the peak that he reached in Last Olympian that he's kind of struggling in this situation. Yeah, he very literally uh, gets that all taken away from him in this chapter. I, I need to not get ahead of myself, but there's so much I want to say about that. That's fine. That's Yeah, let's take this one chronologically. 
Uh, instead, how about we talk? I mean, there's not a lot to say about Steno and Uriel. They're, they're just they're fun Percy Jackson monsters, you know? Basically. I, I like that um, Steno's whole deal is, like, she's kind of kind of senile, and she's gone native in her undercover, like, demigod-eating role. Like, she's still carrying around her plate of free samples from the store where she tried to catch Percy. Like, I don't know, that's fun. I like that. Oh, for sure. Like, I just, I do enjoy, we, we don't often get, like, the monster has enveloped themselves so fully in this identity that, <laughs> like, that, that's, that's, like, pretty good. But, uh, they're, they're just wacky. There's not a lot to them beyond, like, a pretty fun like dynamic the conflict between them it's the it's the bickering it's it's yeah yeah and i why hasn't medusa like come back yet because they explicitly call out that she like has not risen from tartarus i she has to be being saved for like a boss fight later in the series right because that's that's kind of what happened with the minotaur like we were confused about why it never came back for like four books and then it shows up for one of the coolest scenes in Last Olympian. So I think it's possibly just Rick kind of playing his cards close to the chest on. It's that, or else, like, maybe preserving her head in Olympus has just prevented that from fully happening. <laughs> Wait, no, it's not in Olympus, is it? It's in fucking Sally Jackson's fridge. Wait, you're right, yeah. <laughs> maybe she just likes it there. Yeah, fair enough. No, wait, wait, wait. What if she has reformed, but she's just living with Sally now? <laughs> they're just roommates yeah i would love I to love read this. that wacky comedy she's just chilling out with a pair of sunglasses on so everything's fine exactly um and and this is the like this first chapter is where we get what seems like will be our i guess our big conflict for the book i don't know uh mm-hmm. the, the feast of fortune uh yeah i basically have no idea what this is it's elaborated on a little bit later like it's supposed to be like honoring the goddess of fortune fortuna very creatively named um yes i know she's probably named after the thing don't at me (laughs) yeah fuck you rome (laughs) this is i mean there's not a lot to say about it other than this is another we've we've got our time limit (sighs) one of many more are introduced in these chapters i mean no there's only the one right because it's the the only one that's brought up is the the feast of fortune you're right, you're right. It's all the same it's all the same stuff counting down to the same thing. Yeah, it's it's five days, the classic time period. And but on, what what I do like from this is that Percy, by the end of the chapter, has innovated some new uh extreme sports tech. <laughs> yes, he has. He I, I left it out in my summaries because it was kind of finicky to mention, but basically Stheno has like uh, a snack tray with free samples on it. And Percy uses it to, like, sled down the side of a mountain. Yeah, yeah, it's... The only reason I really want to bring it up is because it's very Breath of the Wild to me. It is very Breath of the Wild. I hadn't thought about that, but it is. I also want to specifically shout out the line, the stupid lunch tray did not have power steering. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is one of those one of those classic workable lines. Not That's not the right phrase. What am I saying? It's one of those... It's one of so those... very backhanded. <laughs> that's not what i meant at all it's (laughs) it's i mean that's rick riordan shit right yeah uh he he, god percy just takes so much damage he needs a fucking break yeah he's not getting one though i there's there's a specific little detail in here that i really like which is like it's it's with the amount of bullshit that percy has been through it's kind of easy to forget that he's still a kid Uh uh-huh uh, but while he was raiding the shops, uh, he takes a little panda bear to cuddle at night. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's a fucking child who is traumatized and dealing with a lot of shit. It's really, it's a really good, like, it's really sweet. And that panda bear does not, it suffers a tragic <laughs> fate. Fuck you, Octavian. God, yeah, fuck Octavian. Speaking of fuck you, I I guess let's get right to June quote-unquote uh-huh uh this is the this is, this is the classic thing right this is the and when i say classic here i'm not talking about like classic rick riordan i'm talking about like this is the ancient greek thing of you have to carry a god on your back and if you don't then they'll get mad at you 
And if you do, I didn't realize that this you. was. I didn't know this was the thing. I thought. I literally thought Juno was just doing this to be a bitch. I mean, she is. She is. I did. But I didn't realize there was a precedent for being a bitch in this way. Well, it's like one of those, like, you probably find it in most mythologies. At the very least, like, I've heard Norse gods do this. I feel like I've heard, definitely heard Greek gods do this. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you come across, like, an old person who's like, I need to get across the street or I need to get across the oh, river. Yeah. Like, and if you help them, then they reveal their godly form. It's another function of the, like, an old person comes to you and says, I'm very hungry. Can I have dinner at your house tonight? And if you turn them away, they reveal that they are Odin or Zeus or whatever. Yeah, this this is classic Odin shit. Definitely. But Juno, of course, has to sprinkle an extra bout of just being an asshole over it. <laughs> I, so I, I've, I've been thinking about what Juno is up to in these books. Because, like, she wipes Jason and Percy's memories. But there doesn't seem to be a practical reason for doing that. Like, I feel like if Juno sat down with Percy and explained what was happening, he would be broadly on board with helping her. However, what the, the only thing that's changed by her wiping his memory uh, is making him completely dependent on her to know what's happening and to get his memories back. I'm trying to think about it. It might be more of a Jason thing. Like... Maybe because, I mean, obviously she's trying to make them both her, you know, her dependent on her, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, like, we don't really know what Jason was like before his memories were wiped. He could have been, like, if he knew about the Greeks, maybe, he, like, about Camp Half-Blood, he might have gone and fucking stormed the camp. Yeah, it does. I We don't find out for sure, but the implication from these uh, chapters, to me at least, is that the the Romans know something. They know more about it than the Greeks do. I, that was in, cause it's the conversation with Frank, right? Yeah. Frank seems to have some idea that there is, or we don't get a clue into what it exactly it is. He just makes like an offhanded vague mention of like a something when the Laris start calling him a Grecus. Yeah. And we can't tell if that's like, there are rumors about Camp Half-Blood or what, but it's, uh, it's, there's implications there. I'm not sure if. At the very least, it seems like me. Like you're right. It seems like there's something going on here that might there some knowledge might have seeped out. Yeah, and also specifically uh, Juno wiping almost all of Percy's memory, but leaving just enough of Annabeth to use it to guilt trip him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally exactly what we were talking about with Jason at the end of book one. Yep. Christ. I hate Juno. I hope they kill her at the end of this series. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> uh. I, I think the like highlighting a one of my favorite like Percyisms here. Uh, he's like recounting why he just like straight up should not do this, why he should just go fuck off and live in the ocean. And <laughs> he's talking about how his memories have just completely gone. And he does a section where it's like, uh, he was blank from blank. Yeah. He felt like blank. And if the monsters caught him, he'd be blank. <laughs> I like Rick Riordan does this thing every few books where he just likes to like kind of giggle and like point and be like, haha, it's almost like swearing. He almost said some naughty words and I uh, will admit I chuckled when I read it. Yes, I, I, I like I do like to imagine Percy saying, I feel like shit and if the monsters catch me, I'll be fucked. Look, let Percy say fuck. He has been through enough. You should get at least one fuck in every, like, middle grade book. <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking rated 12 movies where you're allowed to have just the one. You're allowed one non-sexual fuck. Yep, purely mechanical, just for the purposes of procreation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I Honestly, I have a... It's the comment that the Gorgons make about him carrying Juno. They're like, clever boy, found a goddess to carry, did you? Like, what... What does that like? What are you talking about? Help! Someone help me! Right? Like, does this have an effect on the speed run? Like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, clever? What's so clever about it? Is this helping him somehow? I, I, this goes back to Juno being a manipulative bitch. But I'm almost positive that the only reason she demands to be carried is to like find an excuse to get rid of Percy's mark of Achilles. Uh huh. Because I have, I have looked in the uh, map in the front of my copy of this book. There are several bridges across the Little Tiber. <laughs> I, 
I presumably even if you cross the bridge, it would still go away. But like, I get I the vibe I get is that she like needed to slow him down enough that crossing a bridge wasn't an option. And if he's lugging her, he can't focus enough to like part the waters like he does in Sword of Hades. Uh huh. So it's just they absolutely sure that he gets rid of it. Yeah. Which why though? What, no, what I is, don't. What is she doing? I don't know. I it feels like. Is this just Rick Riordan being like, okay, I don't want to have an invulnerable protagonist anymore? I mean, that is definitely what it is from like an out-of-universe perspective. But like, I, I wonder if it's just going to be left at that or if there is going to be like some interesting works-in motivation for why it happened. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I guess on the on the level between those two things, like, what does it mean? Like, there is... We talked about Jason sort of getting, like, knocked down back to level one here. And that's kind of what's happening to Percy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just at the beginning of the book instead of at the end. Yeah. I I want to get into just, like, Camp Jupiter broadly here. Like, everything that we have to say about Camp Jupiter the place. Let's go. I, I have a feeling that you're going to be a bit more negative on it than I am. Your feeling is correct. Uh, do you want to start then? No, 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 not at all. Okay, uh, I think <laughs> I want to camp- be. I want to be convinced. I want to like this, but I don't. Okay, so to me, there are a lot of interesting, I guess, well-defined differences between Camp Jupiter and Camp Half Blood, while mm-hmm. still keeping a lot of similarities that make them both like. I can see how these are two factions. I guess. Yeah. Um, the first is that. Unlike Camp Half-Blood, and kind of unlike what you'd expect from the more militarized, like, Rome faction, there is no, like, border. Like, I mean, there's a border, but monsters can cross it. Like, they don't have a Thalia tree protecting them. That's true. They don't have a big dragon. Neither does Camp Half-Blood anymore, to be fair. Oh, well, you're right. But (laughs) they still have, like, the border, like, the invisible line that prevents monsters, mostly. Clarice is back on the border patrol now. Uh Uh-huh. Um... It's Camp Half Blood feels like a normal camp with like Greek elements scattered in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, camp Jupiter feels like someone literally took Rome and put it inside of California. I mean, it it literally is like an enclave of the Roman Empire, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like I, that's it's another contrast, and I think one of the other ones that I point out is that like, like. It's not quite as casual as Camp Half-Blood, but it's still not without its, like, card games and summer drinks and shit. Mm-hmm. And the the way that... I don't know. I what What's your problem with it, I guess, is my question. Uh, well, one is something that I've just twigged, and it's going to make me fucking scream. Okay. Uh, which is, oh, this is an enclave that's uh, technically, like, a secret continuation of a fallen empire. Uh, Camp Jupiter, uh, House of Life 2.0. Oh, oh yeah, a little bit, huh? <laughs> I mean, not too much, but yeah, a little bit. Uh, my my second re- uh, problem with it is kind of a reading that we are now open to because it is like a direct continuity of the Roman state, which is like Rick Riordan tripping and managing to like jam two live wires together into his own eye sockets. Uh-huh. Which is, this is a uh, continuity state of Rome, which ran on a massive slave economy. The first thing that we learn about Camp Jupiter is that they fought in the Civil War. Well, no, they didn't. Okay, we like we, we talked about this, but they, they didn't fought, fight in the Civil War. They fought a conflict at the exact same time as the Civil War, mirroring the Civil War. But... Like, but I understand... <laughs> I completely understand, but just in the text of the book, they did not textually fight in the Civil War. Okay, they did not fight in the Civil War, but they had a fight at the exact same time between Camp Half-Blood, which is not does not have slaves, True. and Camp Jupiter, which is directly descended from a state which did have slaves, and we don't know when they got rid of the slaves. That's true. Uh, and that might have been the Civil War. <laughs> Uh, maybe I, we don't know. I I just want to be clear because I I I want to talk about you know, like everything. I, I'm I'm not saying that this is what is like Rick is trying to imply or anything. Yes, I'm just saying that like by doing this, he is just like uh, playing around with shit that he shouldn't be playing around with or not giving it enough thought before he plays around with it. Yeah, I mean the fact is at the same time this is Rick Riordan trying to like 
almost trying to like soft soften the blow of the idea of the heart of the West. Oh, okay. Because he's like he's almost changing because he's not like oh you know Rome the Roman gods travel wherever the heart of the West is. He's saying that it like that there's a, there's a little bit bit of that here, but what he's saying is that like. Oh, like they were a secret group given orders by Jupiter to travel around the world and they've just happened to be here for the last hundred years because it's heavily influenced by Rome. Like, that's that's softening the blow a little bit to me. You know, I hadn't I hadn't considered that, but that that if that's the direction that it kinda of continues to go, you're right. That might make the whole heart of the West thing a little less uh, than it is. Now the question is why is Rome not the place most influenced by Rome? But yeah, yeah, you'd think. Uh, I guess if you're like, if they don't want to be there, but after the fall of Rome or whatever, for whatever reason, that could make sense. I don't know. It is also very funny to me that uh, the fall of Rome, they were given a mission by Jupiter to continue the the lineage of their great empire. When by that point, the Roman Empire had been Christian for several centuries. Uh huh. <laughs> I I also do, this isn't as much of a serious criticism. It's just something funny that um. Friend of the show Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter, who does our lovely cover art, uh, quite rightly pointed out, is that uh, Camp Jupiter, they are West Coast Roman cosplayers with a history of slavery to some degree. Uh, they are just fucking Caesar's Legion from Fallout New Vegas. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know what that means, but I'm glad that I'm glad that you brought it up. Wait, have you not played Fallout New Vegas? I've never played a Fallout game. That is fucking whack to me. <laughs> Listen, I like is it, stereotypes you, of transgender girls aside. That they just seem like they'd be your shit. I'm sure I'd probably enjoy them. I, I think I played like a like I went over to a friend's house in like middle school or whatever and played like a few seconds of it, and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. But I don't. If I started from the beginning, maybe it'd be cool. Yeah, I. The, <laughs> It's weird. They're so weird. And we also know that there is, like, something sinister happen Because, okay, the thing that we're told about Camp uh, Jupiter is that, in some ways, it's better than Camp Half-Blood. People live longer. There are families there. Yeah, th- this is very strange to me. Does this just mean that, like, Greek demigods just, I don't know, are nat- just naturally weaker and just more susceptible to getting killed by monsters or something? I mean, maybe, but it seems like it's implying that there is, like, something better about their organizational structure here. That's true. But at the same time, there's inequality in a way that has not been represented on the page at Camp Half-Blood outside of, like, the minor god stuff. Yeah, and and to a greater degree than that. Because (laughs) there aren't, like... We meet Don the Fawn, okay? Uh, (sighs) Don the Fawn is a fawn, a satyr... Uh, with a comedy afro, who is a comedy homeless man, and mm-hmm. he, uh, there, and at Camp Half Blood, they don't let people go unhoused in that way. Like, the, you, there, there's nobody who has to be like begging on the street at Camp Half Blood. I mean, yeah, you say there's no border in Camp Jupiter, but uh, all the homeless people surely seem to live outside the city. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, even if like, oh, there's a greater. I don't know, there's, like, the minor gods seem to have been, like, they're, this is interesting, because it seems like the minor gods have been respected more than they ever were at Camp Half-Blood. Mm-hmm. But the actual people living there, maybe not so much. I, Luke would blow a fucking gasket if he had been to Camp Jupiter. Uh-huh, well, Luke is going to Camp Jupiter, his name is Octavius. <laughs> Look, I mean the actual Luke. That's fair, yeah. I mean, that... I only say that because the the line is explicitly drawn between them. Yeah, definitely. Not explicitly, but like obviously. I'm nodding along and pretending that I noticed this. Oh yeah, because like Octavian wait, no, is the... wait. I... No, because Octavian's like a child of Apollo, and uh, Luke was a child of Hermes, right? Well, he's not even a child of Apollo. He's like a legacy. He's like he's like oh, claims yeah. that he descended from Apollo, which is another thing is that some people here aren't even like fully demigods, but. Uh, no, the thing is that he's described as, like, a blonde 18-year-old who looks kind of sickly and has a scar, or, like, something like that, and Uh... with, like, a crazy look in his eye, 
And Percy is like, oh, this guy, like, unnerves me in a way that I don't understand why. Okay, no, yeah, you're right. That's definitely, like, Luke memories banging in the back of his head. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, Luke would blow a gasket if he was here because it is so obviously way more stagnant even than Camp Half-Blood. Yes. Like, half the population are literally ghosts. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. Oh, God, the fucking ghosts. Do we have to talk about Vitellius? I guess. I, you you were pretty mad in the summary, so you should probably take the lead on this. <laughs> I wasn't even... It wasn't even at him specifically. It's just that I was getting very frustrated by this point and wasn't re- I didn't really have any patience left in me for Coach Hedge 2.0. I mean, he's kind of Coach Hedge, but he's mostly just like comedy fat man. Also that. And I, I, I tire of this. I tire of this. Yeah. Yeah. He's mostly just like, oh, it's, an- it's annoying fat old man who longs for the good old days. And, ugh. It is pretty appropriate that Percy just, like, immediately gets mixed in with the freaks and geeks of camp, though. I mean, that, yeah, no, that tracks. Speaking of the ghosts, though. Uh Uh-huh. There is a chariot dealership in New Rome. Yes. I am going to slash Rick Riordan's tires on his car if we get to, like, book five and Mad Claude has not taken up residence in the chariot dealership. We need to see Mad Claude. He's a fucking Roman ghost. This is a town where half the population is Roman ghosts. Let him live here. I'm still... I hope we see him. My guess is that, like, if we do, it'll be in Demigods and Magicians, the crossover books. Probably, yeah. But I... God, I, I want to. I need to see him. They have. He's a, he's a greasy chariot dealer, and they have a chariot dealership. Please, the opportunity is right here. Speaking of, like, merchants... We there's like a quick line about how Hazel buys an iced coffee from Bombilo, the two-headed coffee merchant. I need more info on this. <laughs> Maybe this is just like um, Janice's day job. Maybe. The minor gods aren't that respected. No, no. Going back really quickly, I'm thinking about it now. Kind of think, uh, like Percy is constantly being given a very similar choice. Uh, which is you can either fuck off and leave everyone to ruin or uh, and draw your own harm. Uh, like, this is the Calypso thing again a little bit. Oh, God, you're right. God, fuck. <laughs> Percy deserves a break. Yeah, God, no, for sure. Yeah, I imagine I imagine this is just going to continue to be Percy's life. Yeah, he does. It is pretty cool when he kills the Gorgons, though. It is very cool when he makes the big the big water hands grab them, which is uh, depicted on the cover of my copy. Ooh, really? Yeah. Uh, actually, the cover on this one isn't even that terrible. Well, I think this is a pretty good time to get into into our famous segment uh, where we talk about the covers of the books. Which we definitely didn't just both remember existed right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, as as always, I'll put these on the on the Twitter so that you can inspect them for yourselves. So I guess let's start out with yours. So what we've got on my cover is um, a back shot. Let me rephrase that. Uh, a <laughs> shot from behind of Percy uh, in like his Camp Half-Blood t-shirt and also what looks like a fucking Kevlar vest. Uh, making two big CGI water hands fly at some not terrible CGI uh, gorgons. Uh, his haircut is also distinctly Logan Lermony, I think. Oh, for sure. Because <laughs> these books were coming out around the same time as those movies. so It's very like Parting of the Sea uh, plus their fists. Yeah, this this cover is not as bad as the usual ones. Yeah, the, the UK covers are usually absolutely awful. So I'm, I'm glad to say that this is a solid 5 out of 10. Rick Epic Heroes Legendary Adventures Riordan. It's a very long name. Going to the DMV is an ordeal for him. Uh, I do still like my cover better, though. Uh, hit me. Uh, so... Book Yurt. Is a Book Yurt link? God fucking damn it, why are the American covers always better? <laughs> so we've got, what we got here is, uh, Percy Jackson, presumably, just, like, coming out of a frozen lake, uh, dripping wet. He's, like, a lot more style, like, like, he's, this reminds, he's, like, very graphic novel-y, I don't know. Yeah. Um... And he's holding, like, this staff with an eagle that presumably represents Camp Jupiter on it that's, like, crackling with lightning as a storm brews overhead. 
Mm-hmm. It's fucking awesome. I the other major difference between these covers is I'm I'm going to read all the text on my cover. Uh, from the creator of Percy Jackson, heroes of Olympus, the son of Neptune. This is the stuff of legends. Guardian, Rick, epic heroes, legendary adventures, Raiden. And then all the text on Jacqueline's, the heroes of Olympus, the son of Neptune, author of the best-selling Percy Jackson series, Rick Raiden. It's so much less busy. There's a load of bullshit on my cover. That's you got to see the cool art. Is what happens here. Yeah, unfortunately, the art on mine isn't very cool. So I guess they were maybe kind of trying to cover it up. Yeah, oh, quite sad. <laughs> quite sad. We get to Camp Jupiter fast for a Percy Jackson book. Yeah, usually there's four chapters of fucking around, and then we get to the camp. I guess it was kind of similar in the Lost Hero, though. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I, but even that, I feel like there was more preamble in Lost Hero with like everything going on with um, Leo, Piper, and Jason, and then like a big battle at the canyon, and then the chariot ride back over and stuff like that. And here it's just Percy falls off a cliff and goes into a tunnel, and he's there. Yeah, it's like chapter two as opposed to chapter three. Mm-hmm. It's we're here very fast, and I wonder is it a good time to talk about our new characters? Sure, let's go for it. So we've got three, like or I guess maybe four, four like new characters. Uh, mm-hmm. That is uh, Hazel. I don't know her last name. Uh, there's D'Angelo. <laughs> it might be D'Angelo. <laughs> uh, there is is it Frank Zhang? Um, there is. Uh, Octavian and there is Reyna. Mm-hmm. Now, do any of these characters especially stand out to you? Nope. Okay. <laughs> do, do, do any of them particularly stand out to you? I mean, Reyna is immediately an Annabeth alike. I suppose that's true, yeah. She, okay, picture this. Percy Jackson enters a camp. There, he's greeted by a girl who is like a leader at the camp who is obviously very intelligent, the daughter of a war god who with a uh, with who has an immediate disdain for him, but also like obviously secretly knows like has like a little bit of affection or like not even affection, but like there's something there that she is keeping hidden uh, about her knowledge of him. Uh, who am I describing? Because. OK, you know what? I take it back. Uh, Juno was actually doing Perseus solid when he uh, let him keep his memories of Annabeth because otherwise things would have gotten very awkward very fast when he hooked up with Reyna. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm very glad that this wasn't like a Jason and Percy girlfriend swap. <laughs> I don't know. I think that would have been kind of funny. Yes, yes. But <laughs> yeah, we learned that she's like the daughter of, who was it, like Bologna? Mm-hmm, yeah. Who's the who's the goddess of war? Who I don't I don't know if she and has Italian sausages. Uh huh. I don't know if she has like a <laughs> Greek equivalent, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, the Romans made up a couple of OCs when they were copy pasting over the Greek religion. God, yeah. No, I mean there are like hundreds of little Roman gods represented here, so I'm hoping we get a, like a fair variety of like interesting ones. Maybe that's why like the Romans had to treat them more fairly. It's just kind of like there's a strength of numbers thing. Maybe the minor gods have like more class consciousness in the Roman. That's a very that's very possible. I hope so. <laughs> I hope we get class struggle in Percy Jackson. Uh, I hope so. Or the Camp Half Blood Chronicles. I'm sorry. The closest we've gotten to it is the. I guess the minor gods kind of had class consciousness when they joined Kronos' attempt to overthrow Olympus. That's. I guess that's true. But also, that sucks. Yeah, I don't know if that's class consciousness. Actually, that's. Uh, um, our other characters we have we have Frank. He's like a beefy boy with a baby face. He's just Butch again. Yeah, he that from is Lost kind. Hero. Sorry. No, I was just reminding the audience that Butch was from Lost Hero because I imagine they forgot because he shows up for like one chapter. Yeah, no, he's described exactly the same way. <laughs> Which uh, all we know about him so far is that like maybe he does something with potions. I do like the description of uh, he looked like a toddler who'd taken steroids and joined the Marines. Uh-huh. That is quite funny. <laughs> yes, definitely. So that is at least at least better than Butch being basically described as like, what if a strong guy was a brony or whatever the fuck it was. Oh, God, right. Um, and he's also a probatio, which I guess means that he's on probation, probably. I guess so. For taking steroids. I don't know. I feel like they might like that at Camp Jupiter. That's a fair point, actually. I 
I just don't like that Camp Jupiter is not a camp. Yeah. I feel like one of the major parts of, like, the appeal of, like, the the original Percy Jackson books is that, like, Camp Half-Blood is, like, a summer camp with a fun Greek twist. Whereas Camp Jupiter is a Roman enclave. And I kind of feel like you wouldn't even necessarily need to do, like, another summer camp to keep it, like, more grounded. You could just, like... If you wanted to do, like, a um, a more militarised, disciplined version of, like, a place where you can send kids for the summer, make a camp group to, like, a military school or something. Like, it would be less appealing, but also I don't find this very appealing, so... That's a good point. Like, at the very least, change the name, because this doesn't feel like a military camp. Like, camp is a term used in military stuff as well, of course. This doesn't really mm-hmm. feel like that kind of camp either. Just It's just like a city. Camp Jupiter is like the the little army camp next to New Rome, which is much bigger. And I feel like that's what you would name the place after. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess that's fair. But I don't know. The camp itself, I'm largely fine with. It seems like. But it. What? Okay. Okay. Here's the problem that I'm identifying. I know what it is. Okay. Ca- militarized camp in the woods makes me think of the fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Fuck. I was actually thinking about the Percy Jackson movies while I was reading these chapters. Oh, yeah? And I was wondering I was wondering if, like, um, Heroes of Olympus was maybe one of the things that killed that franchise. Because, like, th- those movies were not good and they were not particularly well-liked, but they did okay financially. They both made their money back. But I wonder if one of the things that kind of, like, an executive would look at and think, oh, fuck, we can't turn this into, like, a huge long-running thing is that, like... The mist was basically like for papering over plot holes in Percy Jackson and the Olympians. So they kind of skipped it in the movies because they didn't have time for it. But by the time you get to Heroes of Olympus with the Camp Jupiter stuff, the mist is like a, a fundamental aspect of the world building for explaining why things have been like this for so long. And so I was just kind of wondering if maybe there was like a room full of people in the, the 20th century Fox planning department looking at this and thinking fuck, we shot ourselves in the foot. We can't actually, like, turn this into an infinite money franchise. We should just do something else. I watched both of those movies. I know for a fact that in the first sentence of the movie, they would have Percy in a narration saying, (laughs) the mist is a force of the gods that makes it so mortals can't see what we do. And that would be it. They would would be fine with that. You're right. They would just shamelessly wreck on it. I mean, they changed fucking Chiron from Pierce Brosnan to just some guy who actually wore some clothes, and they never explained that. So I guess, I guess maybe I'm overthinking this. Yeah, probably. But, but it's just that these these were coming out at the same time as like the Sea of Monsters came out. So I just wondered if that was maybe like that played into some of the discussions for taking the franchise out behind the woodshed. I mean, Logan Lerman would be like what thirty uh, by the time that they got around <laughs> to making this movie. <laughs> I don't know, the dude still looks like 16. Yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, God. And they just, they just fucking de-age him anyway, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. What are we talking about again? Uh, characters, characters. Talk about, oh, yeah. Let's do Hazel now, I guess. H- Hazel's kind of got something going on, I guess. Uh, Hazel seems like she was friends with Jason. It seems like that. She's like the new recruit type, and I'm guessing it's very much the thing of like the plucky new recruit gets b- befriends the old the old hat, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we we learned that the way that like praetors work, we learned what that means. That basically Jason was like one of the two leaders of the entire camp. Yeah. So definitely was a big 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 important guy, and she doesn't have a lot going on. The only interesting thing is that like she seems to make diamonds appear around her wait does she yeah there's like a point where she's like a diamond just like sprouts in the ground next to her and don the fawn tries to pick it up but she's like no oh, don't yeah, do it right. but huh. i guess that's i feel like that's pretty immediately explained away by the fact that it seems like she's a daughter of pluto yeah that seems like a pluto thing i guess going along with that we learned that the tattoos are like all custom made depending on who your parent is which is you know that's that's fine it's cool uh, and you get, like, there's, like, tally marks on your arm for how long you've been at Camp Jupiter. Uh, which is dumb and bad and worse than the camp beads from Camp Half-Blood. 
it's so sad. This is like genuinely made me like frown very largely that Percy just <laughs> cannot remember any of his camp bead stuff. Like he doesn't. Yeah, that bit's fucked up. That's so sad. Specifically, the part where he's looking at the one from Last Olympian with the names of everyone who died in like the Battle of Manhattan. Yeah. And he just straight up doesn't remember who any of them are. That's fucked up. God. Yeah, he doesn't remember Silena Beauregard. Uh. <laughs> but we'll never forget. Never. Again, everything going on with Percy in these chapters is good. Yeah. I I actually have a question here, because at one point Reyna says that, like, oh, celestial bronze, that's much more rare than our imperial imperial gold. Do you think that's, like, true? Or is that is this, like, another one of the weaving of the mist type things? Yeah, this sounds like bullshit, because I feel like there was a lot of celestial bronze kicking around at Camp Half-Blood, right? Like, probably a decent amount of it, yeah. Although I guess, like, they have twice as many demigods at Camp Jupiter, so it, like would seem more scarce to them. Maybe. Like, I don't know. It's it's, it's a little world-building thing that I think does actually improve everything a little bit. Like, it's just mm-hmm. nice to see these little bits of world-building. Yeah. I, I have a prediction. Okay. I really just, like, it, it's one of those things that happens every single fucking book where... Uh-huh. Rick Riordan dangles a little bit of like slice of life, uh, like camp story in front of me, and I really want the camp story to get focused on, and I know it won't. Uh, I think this election could be really fun, <laughs> and I know that I know that there's not going to be a fucking election. I know, like I'm almost, like I can't remember much of this book at all, but the second they said that the two ways to become a praetor are to either like get elected or to get raised on a shield after a major success in battle, I know Percy's gonna get raised get raised on that fucking shield. Jacqueline loves media with election arcs. No, I I literally wrote in my notes I would love the hunter hunter election arc politicking. I mean, we've already had the fucking, the arc about the carnivorous killer ants, so. Yeah, yeah, this has to become Hunter Hunter or else I'm quitting. <laughs> well, there you go, Rick Ryden. Simply produce media uh, on the same level of quality as Hunter Hunter. Impossible Not challenge. That hard. Uh, oh, there's another, um, another thing in these chapters uh, that I hated. Oh, uh, which was Hazel mentioning offhand that almost every Roman emperor was descended from the Greek gods. Come the fuck on. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> Not yeah. just, like, every Roman emperor, but also the generals? Like, I mean, to be fair, they were mostly the same people. That's, that's true. Emperor dies, Roman Empire collapses into massive civil war, general beats a bunch of people, marches on Rome, becomes emperor, dies, repeat, is kind of how Roman history goes, as far as I understand it. I mean, that's true. Like... <laughs> why must the divine right of kings be true every fucking time why like why why must we give credence to this idea rick rick loves royal families he loves cool bloodlines and being preordained to be a great man theory yeah it's it's sad but it's true <laughs> oh wait actually no wait i'm having a brain blast oh uh none of them are descended from the greek gods except for uh Elagabalus, who is of course descended from Aphrodite. Who is that? Uh, that is the uh, Roman Empress who was a transgender woman. Oh, oh, I think I remember that actually. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, I mean, not cool. That's the only one. The only one you're allowed. Uh huh. Not cool to be an empress, but cool to be trans. Yeah, you hate to see a girl boss winning. God, uh, the funniest <laughs> thing in this final chapter is when Percy gets the like comedy pan over when he sees the temple of jupiter the coolest and biggest <laughs> dickest and, sh- and such uh, jupiter optimus maximus uh-huh and then he's like wow the one to neptune must be really cool too and he looks over and it sucks and it's, it's basically a fucking porta potty <laughs> it's got moldy it's the fucking chad zeus the fucking chad jupiter versus the virgin neptune god of the sea <laughs> who also okay the last son of neptune went, who went here caused the fucking san francisco earthquake or whatever which i okay okay fine fuck why not sure sure i mean one of the magicians in kane chronicles caused the boxing day tsunami why the fuck not god oh god 
I would simply like Rick to stop ascribing real-world tragedies and wars to, like, random bullshit in his books. This is, like, I feel like this is... (laughs) It's so funny because I feel like this is one of the, like, laws of urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, you generally should try to avoid some of that stuff. Rick does not clearly does not believe in this law and in fact uh, memes on it by violating it at every possible point and it's really bad. It's almost funny. <laughs> <sighs> the, but this this is one of those cases where we we are laughing at it, not with it. Percy has an epic moment here when he looks at the master bolt and is like, "It doesn't look like that." That is fun. I like that. I I like things that I recognize from books that I enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> I guess the only character we have left to talk about is Octavian. Yep. Uh, he exists. The vibe I get from him is very much uh, Tantalus from Sea of Monsters, where he's kind of being introduced as like a sinister person at the camp at the start of the book. Uh, we probably won't see him for several chapters, and then he'll be gone at the end, and we won't have to deal with him. That's very possible. To me, he feels like quest bait. <laughs> this is true. He does exist to, uh, say, talk about the Book of Sibylline, uh, and for that to come up in a few chapters' time. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I'm pushing him out of the way. We need to talk about the real <laughs> important thing that happens at the end here. Absolutely. It's Nico D'Angelo. Uh, when I finished reading these chapters for the first time, uh, I sent you like a clip that was just of a person saying pain, suffering, agony. Uh-huh. And I was specifically referring to this bit. Yes. Uh... Nico. Nico, fucking tell Percy that you know him. I don't. Does he know? Does he know? Hang on, let me... Because the exact thing is that he, like, looks shocked or, like, he was caught in some, like, police headlights for a second before regaining his composure. No, he says that, and then he regains his composure, and he says, Pleased to meet you. I'm Nico D'Angelo. Yeah, like, I, so I can't tell if he, like, n- remembers... Like, did he lose his memory and he had, like, a flash of memory there? Or... Oh. Or does he know and he's lying for some reason? That's what I had assumed, because Hera, Hera only talked about doing a straight exchange between Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood. She didn't mention, like, wiping anyone else's memory, so I don't see why Nico wouldn't know. I'd, maybe he hit his head. <laughs> that would be extremely funny if the whole book is Percy with his, like, fucking god-inflicted amnesia, which ties into his quest, and Nico just has a fucking head injury. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't even I don't even have a lot to say here. I'm just so happy to see Nico. I'm happy to see Nico. I'm ready to be hurt by the fact that he's pretending he doesn't know Percy for some reason. Yeah. I I mean Nico is like everyone's favorite character, right? Like everyone yes. loves Nico. And and for good reason, he's cool. But like and I don't want to, like, I guess indulge too. I don't care. He's awesome, <laughs> and it's been, like, five books since we've seen him, and I missed him. Yeah, the same. Do you have any more to say about the opening to the Sign Neptune? Not really. I like the bits that were cool things I recognized from previous books. I didn't like pretty much anything else. I think this might actually be, like, the A, the most I've ever turned around on a set of chapters on a second reading, and B, probably the chapters that I have, like, dislike the most since like i had hopes about kane chronicles that's interesting that's i i was not as negative as you uh on this Mm -hmm. but there was also just so much shit in here that was just hard to read that i i will try to keep my hopes low for the book going forward but i'm just i'm happy to be back (laughs) with percy same i mean this is kind of the pattern with these books isn't it like a lot of the time with um the percy jackson olympian olympians ones we start a camp half blood. That means that we're close to the incredibly whack bullshit that's in the world building for this series. And then once they like strike out in the quest, we're away from that, and it's easier to kind of put it to the back of your mind and enjoy what's happening. So hopefully that will be the case this time as well. The thing is, I want to like Camp Jupiter. Like I want to really get into what the deal with New Rome is. Like that's. Mm-hmm. I think if we really spent a lot of time there and fleshed it out, then I think that could be cool like we have this entire new setting that has existed this whole time and it was revealed at the end of the last book and i i feel like we should spend time here and i don't know that we're gonna get that time i also don't know if rick has it in him to like 
make it an interesting setting. Because, okay, here's my piece of supporting evidence for the fact that he kind of thinks that New Rome is just cool. And maybe has a couple of problems, like the homeless satyrs, but like, broadly he likes it. Uh, which is the dedication in the front of the book. Which is, to Becky, who shares my sanctuary in New Rome, even Hera could never make me forget you. Very sweet. But Very sweet, but also like, pitches New Rome as a sanctuary. Yeah, unless there's some like... Unless there's some game mechanic called Sanctuary later in this book, then <laughs> I, yeah, very much so. RPG-brained at all times. I, I did say the word game mechanic, I'm realizing now. this is Oh, a, I, oh I thought you were doing that on purpose. You were like... <laughs> I guess it was a Freudian slip, because it, that that is what it would be, probably. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think that does it for us today. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I One thing I wanted to mention before we start, we... Fuck. Before we finish, uh, was just I I found out for the first time today that apparently the Raiden verse is over. Oh oh. I apparently um, Trials of Apollo was like the last Raiden verse series. It's done now. Wait, who told you this? I mean, I just found I that's what I saw while googling around. But that's not true. About stuff, is it not? The the Nico book. Oh, there is a Nico book. Oh, thank God. I I was I was kind of I was kind of upset about it just because like. It's been one of those weirdly comforting things through a lot of my life to know, like, oh yeah, those weird Greek books I read in primary school. Yeah, they're still making those, aren't they? Probably still pretty good. I was I was upset that, to think that they might be ending. Uh, this did prompt me to do something drastic. Oh? Uh, which was to, I mean, obviously my my first thought was, oh no, this this series that I have a lot of fondness for, it, it's over. Uh, the second thought was, oh god, what about the content that we can produce? Jane? <laughs> so uh i i made i took the pace that we struck for the lost hero assumed that every book from now on will take us about as long as lost hero and kind of projected outwards how long it will take us to finish the ride verse uh-huh uh i'm i'm pleased to say that it put my fears about content tm to rest uh because we if we keep going at this pace and every book takes about as long as lost hero and we factor in a couple of episodes for like short story books it should take around 154 episodes to finish the Raiden verse, giving us a projected finish time of around three years. Oh, oh, yeah, I did the math at the beginning of this. Uh, I knew it was going to be about three years of podcast this whole time. I mean, we're over a year, so four years and a bit total. Oh, well, that's longer than I estimated at the beginning of this. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and obviously this uh, this number is actually bullshit because I know that the Trials of Apollo books are even longer. Jane is going to come in here fucking like, you know, I really like the Shrieking Shacks format. We should switch to one chapter a week. <laughs> Absolutely not. I If we had only read one chapter, my hopes would have been so much higher before they got dashed by the rest of these. Uh-huh. <laughs> God. I mean, these are, the format's already, this is interesting, the format's already changed from the first book. Yeah, it's just four from the same perspective in a row. Yeah, like, I, I saw the next chapter, I know it's gonna be Hazel next, but it's it's four instead of two, so that's, I guess that's handy for us. I wonder if that's gonna be, like, the thing going forward, or if he's maybe gonna play with, um, uh, changing the structure a little bit. I don't mind a bit of experimentation. Yeah, same, I, I... I mean, one of the things that we, I don't think we even really complained, just observed about uh, Lost Hero, was that very often uh, Rick would just, like, cut the last three paragraphs off a chapter and make it a chapter to keep the pattern consistent. Yeah. So if we're, if we're stretching our legs a little bit now that we've had a book of that format, I'm okay with that. The other possibility is that this is going to be a continued victim of, like, under-editing, and each character is going to get, like, two chapters too many every time. <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. The, we'll see how it goes, yeah. Uh, I think that does it for us today. I think so. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera. You can find her at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. You can find them at Moonshot Pods on Twitter. They're great. If you want to contact us, you can go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls. There we've got links to our Discord, our Twitters, our uh, email, etc., etc. If you want to support us, you can leave us a five-star rating and review, tell your friends, or go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. 
And for a dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Wait, we've gone to two books now without seeing Dionysus. What the fuck? Anyway, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, in the last bonus episode, uh, we talked about the Doctor Who episode, The Fires of Pompeii. Uh, did a little comparison between the way that Rome is presented in that and in this series. Uh, talked about how funny it is when a guy just sells a TARDIS. Uh, we also talked about uh, Young Justice Season 2. Yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, and yeah. for $5 a month, you can get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all our bonus content, as well as a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. See you next week, Camp Jupiter. No. (laughs) God, I'm glad that I got the Camp Half-Blood shirt and the cover art. God. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye.